In this episode of Influencers, Magically CEO Peggy Johnson. When the digital and physical worlds merge seamlessly, I think that's the true promise of the metaverse. We have to um, not only get more women in, but we need the engineers. We can't just unleash new technologies to the world and expect others to be responsible for, for the use of it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Peggy Johnson, CEO of Magically. Peggy, so nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So let's talk a little bit about Magically starting off, um, because some people may not be familiar with your company. Tell us about what you guys do. Sure. So we make a head-mounted device. You wear it over your eyes. You can actually think of it as a computer on your eyes. And you still see your physical world around you, but we place digital content very smartly in that physical world. So it's AR, VR, XR. How would you describe it in those terms? Yeah, there's, that's definitely an alphabet soup. Yeah. Um, and it is augmented reality. And how that's different from virtual reality is virtual reality, usually you put uh, something on your eyes and you're fully occluded. You're fully in another virtual world. Um, there's some drawbacks to that because you can't then see your physical world and you might not see the coffee table and in, in between. Um, but it's largely used maybe more for entertainment and, and uh, more of a c consumer focus. But augmented reality, you can think of as a tool and it's going to start in the enterprise space. And it just helps people do their jobs more quickly, more efficiently with this added digital content right in their field of view. Want to drill down into those enterprise applications, Peggy. But first, you guys did sort of start out as a consumer-facing company, right? We did. Um, so the, in the early days, uh, when they were first building the product, and, and the company's been around almost 12 years now, and um, they did something amazing, which was made the first all-up augmented reality system in Magic Leap 1. The device still today is awesome, the, the initial device, but they pointed the company largely at the consumer market. And the consumer needed some things like content. Uh, content was uh, early days. You know, there weren't augmented reality developers out there in, in, in plentiful numbers. Um, the size of the device was really not really something consumers would wear for a very long time. It was, it was a little bit heavy. Um, and then the cost, it, you know, it was, it was sold through some consumer channels and side by side with a phone that was much more performant than the device, it, there wasn't a winning combination there. However, just having gotten the device to where it is was a big start. And then that put us on the road to Magic Leap 2, which was built from the ground up to be used by the enterprise initially. And you became CEO in September of 2020. Was that transition from consumer to enterprise already underway or was that something you did? It was just underway. And so there was a fair amount of change management uh, that we went through at the company. Uh, the company had had studios to build content before and, and we had to redirect all of those resources toward the enterprise and also selling into the enterprise quite a bit different. You, the devices have to have, um, you know, 
an eye on privacy, security of corporate data. Also, the devices have a lot of sensors on them. There's cameras looking at your eyes and cameras looking at the world, and all of that is very sensitive corporate data in the enterprise world. So we had to ensure that all that was protected, managed by the corporate IT infrastructure manager, um, all very different, a kind of a different muscle than pointing at the consumer. So the company had to learn all of that as well along the way. And just to follow up on the consumer side, so was, is it safe to say maybe, or, or fair to say, it was sort of ahead of its time? And is it sort of somewhat like what Oculus is at, at Facebook, a little bit like that? Yeah, I definitely ahead of its time. In fact, Magic Leap has been in the industry, I think, for much longer than, than most of the players that we hear about now, you know, over a decade, as I said. And so it was, it was ahead of its of its time, but the vision was right. And the tech and, you know, the ability to make the tech had to catch up. I, for me, I think of it as just like mobile phones. So that was the industry I grew up in. I spent 25 years at Qualcomm and they went through that same trajectory. They started pointed really at businesses because they were bigger, they were costly, but they solved a problem for businesses. And that is why we chose to pivot toward businesses because the tech in its current format today, and it has revved since Magic Leap 1, so we've made a lot of improvements, but it's really uh, best pointed at the enterprise because it can solve real problems right. for enterprise. And it's interesting. I mean, sometimes so there's the consumerization of tech and sometimes business tech takes the lead. I mean, you've yes. been around yeah. and seen both of those trends. So let's, let's delve into what the product does very specifically. What are the applications? What businesses? What problems can it solve? Right. So we were pointed at enterprise, and then we further narrowed that to a handful of fields that we see as sort of the low-hanging fruit for augmented reality tools like we build, and that's healthcare. So we have surgeons who use it for pre-surgical planning. They, they, uh, they plan out where incisions will be. They can actually look at the patient and draw digital markers on the patient. Um, they can actually see uh, a heart in 3D imagery in front of their eyes. For instance, if you're uh, a cardiac surgeon and you're putting a catheter into the heart, it's you know, typically done with a 2D screen and, and your mind is seeing, you know, what a 3D image looks like on a 2D screen, but your mind is working to, to, to really see you know, what the heart looks like. But now you imagine putting the heart in front of your eyes and the surgeon being able to thread that catheter, which much more precision. And we have a company called Senti R who does that. And it's actually, they've imaged the heart. It's the live heart in front of the surgeon's eyes. So it's pretty awesome. Um, defense is another big one in public sector. Any sort of training, um, any command and control scenarios where you might have people, uh, you know, working on a, uh, an, a, an emergency uh, disaster uh, scenario. You might have people in the room who are looking at the digital content and then experts outside the room who can look at the same digital content. But it's a great training tool um, because it saves a lot of cost. You don't have to have physical assets. You can just have digital assets to train on. And then lastly, largely in industrial setting, uh, manufacturing facilities, um, the, the frontline workers there have this computer on their eyes and their hands have full mobility and access to do their job. 
So they're hearing spatial audio, they might be seeing videos, they might be seeing a digital twin of a machine in front of them that they can walk through the steps to repair and get that machine back online. So those are the focus areas. Eventually we'll circle back to other areas of business and then consumer at the right time. Mm. So it must be um, a challenge, an opportunity to get customers to be trained to use these things. I mean, this, so the selling part would involve a lot of high touch relationships, right? It does, particularly in the beginning. And again, I roll back to mobile phone days when, um, you know, we had put all of, I was at Qualcomm, we put all the data protocols into the phone and all people wanted to do with it was download ringtones. And that was, <laughs> that was the big thing. And it was like, no, this, this is the internet and the phone. And, and so, we are kind of at that same trajectory. You have to first train the users of it, what the technology can do. And what we're trying to do is just solve one or two things initially. And that's things like um, just 3D visualization, which is just so much cognitively easier to understand something when you can put the 3D image in front of you. Um, training, having people up and on a production line much more quickly. Um, we've got a company who's saving, I don't know, something like 80% of their training costs. Uh, PBC Linear, it's a small manufacturing company in the Midwest from what they used to do, which was gather everybody in a room, uh, you know, for a certain period of time, you're, you're going through books, you're seeing, you know, PowerPoints and things. Now they can just put the device on and literally get out on the factory floor in a fraction of the time that it used to take to train them. So we've got to solve real world problems. It has to be tangible. It can't be hyped. It's got to be doable today. And that's where we're focused. You mentioned privacy before, Peggy. So what are the challenges there? And then how do you solve them? And does that translate to issues of privacy when it comes to consumers? It, I think it does, and I think we have to get ahead of this. This device has much more imagery and, and, um, and sensors that uh, go far beyond, say, what a phone does. And I think we're already concerned about our data on a phone, so we need to, from the get-go, protect that data, whether it's corporate data or consumer data. For instance, the camera's looking at your eyes. There's, you know, you can do a bio-identity of somebody. And, and so we have to be careful, keep that data secure. The good thing about our company, Magic Leap, is the only thing we do is, you know, build a platform an augmented reality platform. We don't have a business model where we're dependent on that data. And so from, from our standpoint, that's, that's highly personal data that needs to be contained and protected at all times and only released when the user or the company is, you know, allowing that. Tell us more about Magic Leap, the company. Where are you headquartered? Uh, how many employees, public, private? Yeah, so we are a private company. We are headquartered in uh, booming South Florida. There's a, there's a lot going on down there right now. Though there, I would say Magic Leap is sort of the OG of the area. They've been around for so long. Um, we have about 1,100 employees, and um, basically, it it just works for us. The the previous CEO had the foresight to um, actually buy an old uh, motor Motorola mobile phone factory, which is in Plantation, Florida, just outside of uh, Fort Lauderdale. 
and it was just right for us. We have to we had to make those optics from the ground up. And again, it was something that hadn't been done before. Nobody had ever tried to make this type of, um, you know, viewing capability in in a piece of glass, which is what what we've made ours out of. And so glass substrate comes in one end of the factory and these highly tuned optics come out the other end. But it's been quite an advantage for us to have the engineers on the second floor and the factory on the first floor because they're not flying to some far flung factory. They're right there. They go down the stairs. That's amazing. So it's still cost effective, though. Much more. Yes, absolutely. More cost so. effective. Yeah, I believe so, because the the latency, it, I, I would say it really helped us get to that first product in as quick a time as possible. Because when you think about the mobile phone industry, there were a lot of players in that industry, you know, putting an IP and building these phones, it was largely just magically for years. And having the factory there and allowing us to uh, spin those optics very, very quickly has been a, a, a major advantage for us. And it keeps the cost down now because we're making them ourselves. And, that's and you don't have to fruitful. make them in Mexico or, or China no, or Vietnam. We do send the, uh, the optics assembly to Mexico for the rest of the assembly. So the casing and that's, and then the packaging, flash it with software, and then it comes back to our distribution centers in the US. Right. So that was one capability that we didn't have in that in that factory, but it's quite an asset for us. Right, no, that's, that's yeah. a great story. Um, when you talk about um, your, your work, what, who are your competitors? And you, because again, you know, we know all about the consumer facing companies that are trying to do this, but what about uh, on the enterprise side? Yeah. And just to talk about the consumer facing companies, there are some devices out there that you'll see. Largely, they solve one problem and, and that's great. There's use cases they're solving for. That's a, those are great use cases, but they're not highly immersive augmented reality. And by that, I mean, many of them are just heads up displays. So you put the lenses on and, you know, maybe there's notifications across the top. Um, there, there's some cues that help you do your job better or as a consumer might be entertaining you or showing you where to walk to the next building you have to go to. And, and that's all fine. Ours is quite a bit different in that we are the most immersive augmented reality device out there. So the digital content that are in front of your eyes in Magic Leap is very accurately placed. So much so that we we have to trick your eyes into thinking it's there. So if you had the glasses on and I set some digital content here, it can't move, you know, unless, unless it's meant to, but it can't move and you look away and it should still be there. It, it needs to, to be there and your eye needs to believe it's there. So that's the com complexity of it that makes it quite a bit different from many of the consumer, early consumer devices, I would say, that are on the market. And, and I would say the only real competitor in our category is uh, Microsoft's HoloLens. And uh, HoloLens is also in the enterprise space. Um, but they took, a, they took a different path than us. They have a standalone device um, that has the, uh, the battery and the compute all in the headset, which tends to make it a bit heavy, a bit hot. And uh, we've kept the compute pack uh, down. You can hook it to your, your belt um, or your waistband. And that's been a real lifesaver for us because that means the headset is only like a pair of bows over the ear uh, headphones. It's super lightweight. And that has really helped us in a lot of um, use cases, particularly training um, personnel, you know, that want to wear it for eight, nine hours 
it can't be hot and it can't be heavy. Right. You worked at Microsoft, so you know the company. How serious is Microsoft about this? Because sometimes you see Google and their Skunk Works things, and you know they're doing it, but are they as passionate about it as, say, a standalone company like yours is? Well, certainly that's a bit of an advantage for us because that's all we do. Right. Um, but you know, Sate had written in his book that augmented reality is one of the pillars of new technologies going forward. So I think they're pretty serious. Um, but we do have the advantage of being able to focus. Um, that's it. We don't, you know, have to think about any of the other divisions because there are no other divisions at Magic Leap. It's just all we do. Yeah, I want to go back and ask you some more about Microsoft. But first, what is, so there are all these sort of different UXs, right? There's Google Glasses, there's glasses, there's Snap had some consumer glasses. I know mostly the consumer stuff, I'm sorry. Yeah, lenses. But, you know, lenses, and then there's the, you know, the Oculus thing where I walked off a building, you know, with Sheryl Sandberg and, you know, all that stuff, right? Yeah. So, so what what is it going to be ultimately? I mean, probably the answer is a lot of different things, right? Yeah, we've taken an open platform approach. So we have decided that we, you know, I will say, let me back up. When we first built the product in Magic Leap 1, we couldn't get anybody to add the augmented reality elements to the operating system. So none of the big guys, or they, they said, yeah, okay, we'll add those. And, you know, it would sit on a list somewhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the previous team may, took the decision to build their own operating system. And I do think the decision at the time was the right one. It was the only way they were able to get that whole end-to-end -end system up and running and actually put it on someone's eyes and have them use it. But we, about a year ago, uh, made the decision that in order to become more open and not have to train people on our operating system, we would adopt Android's uh, open source platform. And so we're Android based now. And we've also adopted other platforms. So we have Microsoft's MRTK platform is integrated to it. Um, we're in the process of integrating with NVIDIA's Omniverse. So we're trying to stay as open and flexible as possible so that we can tap into the broader developer community, because that was a constraint of ours in the beginning when we had Magic Leap 1. You didn't mention iOS. Is, is that just because it's only consumer or? Largely only consumer. Yeah. Yeah. So that wouldn't be a priority at this point? At this point, no. Right. I mean, we're Android based and, and there's a lot right. of devs that come with that. And as long as the platforms then that sit on top of that carry in enterprise devs, we're good. And we're building that enterprise ecosystem now. All right. Let me throw out a word at you, Peggy. Metaverse, yeah. right? <laughs> is, there, is there an enterprise metaverse or is that there just a is. consumer thing? Ready Player One. Yeah, there's a lot of Ready Player One out there. Right. Um, I have a bit of a reaction uh, to metaverse because I think, I think actually if you Google metaverse, what comes up is it's a virtual reality world. Mm. And, and while it is that, I think that that's constraining to what I think is the true promise of the metaverse, and that is this heads up world where our head can come back up from our phones, set the phone down, and you're back in your physical world. And the data that you were seeking on your phone just lives very comfortably in your field of view. And you don't trip over the coffee table. So you're mobile, you can keep going about your work, and uh, it's just augmenting how you're viewing your digital content. So it's really when the digital and physical worlds merge seamlessly, I think that's the true promise of the metaverse. I think a subset of that 
is virtual reality and virtual reality worlds. And, and there's, a, there's use cases for that. But the, in the broader context, I think it's going to be AR. But is there is there a consumer? So in other words, is there a consumer meta? I mean, excuse me, an enterprise metaverse. So in other words, okay, I'm going to go to work, and it's like, hey, boss, and you know, like, it would be a whole work world. Yeah. Now I like do that. think there is that possible. There that is, in some ways, possible. I think where where we're going to start is 3D meetings, mm, and right. but actual 3D meetings, not you know, dancing avatars with my hair just the way I want it. Yeah. I think a 3D meeting that you can actually get work done where you've got a CAD drawing in front of you and one of your engineers is in Munich and the other one is in Brazil and you're in the US and you're all working on the same data. You're all able to annotate, modify, delete, move things around. That is going to be then the start of what I think will maybe reduce all of our flights on planes <laughs> because you can have now a good conversation with your family someday. Is your work connected to that sort of end goal potential? Yeah, I mean, we, we think about multi-users in a room. We want to make that the best experience. We're building a lot of this into our platform so that our developers can then access those features and capabilities and, and develop their own you know, way of uh, operating at 3D meetings. So we're putting a lot of the core elements of that into our platform and then opening it up to our devs, uh, you know, the broader developing community to make their own uh, work worlds as they see them. And how does does artificial intelligence factor in here and how is that connected to what you guys are doing? It does in, in, a, in a big way. So for instance, we have a collaboration with Lowe's and NVIDIA. So Lowe's, the, um, the do-it-yourself store, mm -hmm, yeah. they their associates, as they're called on the floor, they want to be able to quickly scan an aisle, see where there's stock missing. But to do that, the device has to first map out the area and then be intuitive enough to know, ah, there's something missing over there. Do an image recognition on it and say what's missing over there is, you know, a box of plywood or something. That's probably not something, a box of plywood, but a box of box nails. Of nails. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. Box, box of, of nails, nails right. Should be on uh -huh. that shelf. Yeah. And that type of capability, um, that image, quick image recognition is now with the help of NVIDIA, we can tap into their Omniverse, um, which is a whole plethora of tools for AR and VR developers, have off board that data, have it assessed and comes back and it says it's a box of nails. It needs to go on this shelf. And here's where you get the supply over down and around the corner. So it's helping the floor associates do their work faster uh, with, with less rework really. And um, that was just highlighted the other day. And I think it's the start of how people can actually envision um, floor workers you know, finally getting the computers that we all have on our desktop. Now they're having them to help them do their job better on their eyes. Peggy, have you thought about a potential regulatory framework for the work you're doing and or AR and or AI? It's a I lot. Think, yeah, it is a lot. And I think, I think we've learned from the releases of previous versions of all sorts of technologies, even going back to the mobile phone, that um, it, we have to be responsible. We can't just 
unleash new technologies to the world and expect others to be responsible for, for the use of it, we have to think about, okay, what can this technology do? Um, what are the good things, but also what are the harmful things that it might do if put into the wrong hands or in the wrong scenarios? And so I believe it's going to be a mix of uh, you know, companies along with um, government organizations, probably academia as well, coming together to help write these guidelines and rules for how to operate in the metaverse and make sure we're doing it right from the start rather than saying, you know, five years down, oops, we should have thought about that. You know, there's cameras on these things. We need to protect the user from day one. Yeah, I was talking to someone the other day. Maybe we need to rethink that move fast and break things. Exactly. <laughs> I, and that's like that's becoming a little jaded, at least in my mind. Exactly. Um, you mentioned Qualcomm and working there. Yeah. What did you do there? What was that like? How many women were in similar capacities? Almost none. Yeah. <laughs> right now, okay, I, we're going way back now. So way back. I, uh, I started way back, um, but I was there 25 years. I remember being really one of the first women on the engineering team. Um, so I'm, I'm an engineer, I have double E background. And, um, and you know, I remember sitting out in the lab and, and there were no women to be seen at all. And, and eventually some more came on, but it was, there was definitely uh, a lack of women then. And of course we weren't, we weren't graduating that many either. Um, but, but frankly, my university asked me to speak at the graduation 20 years later. And I thought, well, I'll talk about how the numbers of women have increased since when I graduated. And when I actually put the numbers side by side, they hadn't. There was like very, almost no change in the number of women graduating. That at least has changed. And, and, and actually Qualcomm's done a great job. They've got strong diversity efforts now in place and and they're really changing that that dynamic but it was a lonely place i have to say and and hard to stick with for all those years and a lot of my close women friends left the field eventually and and you know after 5 10 years i say i was sort of the only one standing after a while <laughs> <laughs> Were you working in San Diego? And, yeah, San Diego. Right, right, Qualcomm. Yeah. And so I think on your LinkedIn page, you say you're um, uh, passionate about getting more women into STEM roles. So how are you trying to affect that change, Peggy? Well, I say yes to just about every opportunity to, to beat that drum because we have to um, not only get more women in, but we need the engineers. It's sort of this untapped community. But in order for them to come in, they have to feel included and have the right environments that wouldn't cause them to leave after a few years like so many of my colleagues did. And so that's changing as well. We definitely have companies who understand that. They're working to have the most inclusive environments. And um, so I, I, you know, take part in any of the STEM discussions or, you know, go visit university students or even grade school students because they young women tend to get biased away from math thinking they can't do it. And, and that's something that we have to really get an early handle on because it happens around fourth grade where there starts to be a bias. And so we've got to make them understand that it, it is cool to be an engineer. <laughs> there, it can be a fun, fun and uh, challenging and great career. 
and want to talk about uh, your time at Microsoft. I understand you were Satya Nadella's first hire. Is that right? Yeah, he was new to the job, mm -hmm. and um, just as a, a few CEO, months, his first as a CEO, oh, as wow. a CEO, mm -hmm. yes. And he reached out, and um, I, I, I didn't know Satya. Frankly, we had worked with Microsoft when I was at Qualcomm, but it was uh, the previous. Uh, CEO, Steve Ballmer, um, and mostly from a chip capacity, you know, they, they were a customer of Qualcomm's. And um, so I had never met Satya before. And when he reached out, I was still thinking, oh, I'm not going to just trade one big company for another big company. Uh, but he convinced me to come up to the campus and um, he convinced me to join. He had such a vision for the company. And if you remember back then, you know, it, it was... It was kind of stuck in the doldrums. It was. Right? And he said, I'm going to change this place. And he did. He did. What was your role there? I was running the uh, business development. So it was all of business development across the company, um, which, which was interesting. Qualcomm, we were, you know, very chip focused. This was literally everything <laughs> from cloud to... Uh, you know, Xbox to office and, and everything in between. And it was, it was a challenging job, but it was a wonderful job. I learned so much in the six years I was there. And how did you transition from being an engineer to being a CEO in terms of understanding how to manage people and lead? Well, that's interesting. I, um, I actually moved over from engineering to the business side when I was at Qualcomm, but it took me, uh, I, it was weeks and weeks where I was thinking about the job. They had offered me a job on the business side and I would go back to the engineers and sit in the lab and go, should I take it? And they're like, no, no, you don't <laughs> want to go the business side. You have to dress up. You're going to, you can't wear your Qualcomm t-shirt anymore. You know, it was like, it's a different world. It was actually two buildings back then. There was the engineering building at Qualcomm. And then there's the business building and they were across the parking lot. And I thought, you know, they're right. They're right. I'm not going to make the change. And then it just kept nagging at me. And, and I finally made the change because I realized I was passionate about that engagement with the customer. I love to be in front of the customer, uh, to convince them, um, the, first educate them on the technology, convince them it was the technology for them. I love that part of it. And, you know, you have to follow what you're passionate about. And that's what I did and started to take on more and more larger teams along the way and just always stayed very team focused. I'm, I like to hear everyone's voice. I'm a quiet person, actually quite introverted. And I knew what it was like when, you know, I was in the room, but sort of not noticed. So I wanted to always make sure that everybody in, on my team had a voice. And that's kind of been my management style all the way through to today. And where do you hope to take Magic Leap. I mean, you talked about having aspirations to expand an enterprise and maybe to go back stronger into consumer. Where could this company go? Right. So short term, we're getting ready to launch Magic Leap 2 in another week here on September 30th to general availability. We've had uh, pre-production units out there and been testing them with a lot of partners. So that's my near-term focus. I uh, want to make that a successful um, launch and going forward, build the ecosystem of solutions on the platform. And that'll then be the engine, again, going back to the mobile phone scenario, that'll start running, will broaden out to the 
rest of enterprise, education, areas like that, and then back to consumer. But we're not quite ready for consumer yet because until the, you know, the silicon integrates further and there's less components in there, we can't really get to those glasses format in the fully immersive AR that we do. So that'll take a little bit of time, but it doesn't mean the tech isn't ready to be useful in the enterprise space. So near-term enterprise, long-term consumer. And final question, Peggy, have you thought about sort of summing up your life's work? I mean, you still got many decades to go, but <laughs> yes. your legacy and, and, and what you're really trying to do as, a, an ex, as an executive and as a human being here. Well, I definitely see this. It was why I took the job, by the way, is I see augmented reality as the next paradigm in computing. And it feels to me the same way the mobile phone did in the early days. Like this is, a, this is gonna be a thing. It's definitely gonna be more than just a handful of businesses buying it. This is the start of something and mobile phones were. I feel that same feeling about augmented reality. I think it's gonna be the next tool that we all have on, uh, hopefully someday even in contact form so you don't even notice that it's in there, but it's helping you. It's a tool that all of us will have to, to do their jobs better and to live and work and play better. I look forward to seeing that, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Peggy Johnson, CEO of Magic Leap. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Andy, appreciate it. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Serwer.